Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to uh, another episode, the latest episode of Fandom Power. My name is uh, Wes Arsgod, and as always, this week I'm uh, riding shotgun with my man Andy. Yo, we're down one though. Sadly, we are uh, we're flying the missing man formation this week, not because anything sinister has happened, other than well, who knows? Darn internet! Who, who's pulling the strings for that particular I thing? I should have asked him if he was on Rogers. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> that could explain a lot. We are missing Hank tonight because of an internet issue, which is beyond his control and ours too. However, we wish him well. We know he'll be back soon. Yep. Hey, if you're joining us live tonight, thanks for being here with us. If you're catching us in the replay, thank you for uh, choosing us as uh, your entertainment option for the next little bit, hour, hour and a half, maybe a little longer, maybe a little less, depending on how this goes. In our uh, last episode, we had a lot of fun. We got a suggestion from our friend Rob Tebow, who said, uh, hey, guys, you can talk about some lightsabers. So we did. And we did. And uh, there was more to talk about than anyone knew. Yeah, really. I had a really good time doing the lightsaber episode. I thought it was way more. First of all, I felt really a lot more casual to me anyway. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot more to learn. There really is. It's not there really was one lightsaber <laughs> to rule them all. No, you know, couldn't be that simple. Come on now. No. <laughs> um, so we thought we'd keep that train rolling, and uh, guess what, everybody? We're going to talk about uh, pew pews. <laughs> talk about blasters in the Star Wars universe, specifically though, just specifically. from New Hope. Yeah, specifically, um, a New Hope. Yeah, because a galaxy full of them. Well, um unbeknownst to uh, uh to you guys <laughs> because you can't see my notes for sure kind of over here um i do have a, a short list of uh the other weapons from the other films and it turns out that there are uh enough blaster or blaster like weapons throughout the film franchise just the original trilogy we could do three shows easily on just that so if you enjoy this episode if you like uh us talking about star wars blasters let us know and we will uh we will develop we'll the turn other it into a trilogy <laughs> <laughs> and 
and why not we've got some time on the on our hands before uh and or yeah and or uh, the bad batch so certainly more than happy to put that together and uh, keep that one rolling by the way if you haven't checked out our patreon do go over there the fandom power podcast on patreon where you can be a uh, show producer where you will have your name added to the credits and you'll have access to all of our show notes as uh, each new episode goes up you know i thought we'd uh, approach this one kind of like we did uh, lightsabers i thought you know let's take a look maybe historically kind of that's a good place to start well i mean we've yeah. talked about the you know star wars being a uh, derivative right yes and it does borrow heavily from other media yeah yeah it it uh it really does and so i mean if the lightsaber is just an iteration of the classic flaming sword then the blaster really is just you know uh, another uh, version of the ray gun or yeah or firearms from our own history true and that's where we're gonna start start with our own little bit of human history here while we pop this over here look at this vintage so what i mean we're going back what about a thousand years here roughly the first uh or i guess the precursor to the modern firearm and in, in our own history would be the uh, the chinese fire lance which was quite literally a, a bamboo tube lashed to a spear that uh they would basically shove in some uh uh black powder early black powder and it was used for shock and awe at the opening of a melee as they would let these things off as they would close for the the battle that shocking well <laughs> you think something new that evolved into uh the hand cannon and uh of course the image here if you're watching live the image on the screen right now uh we have the oldest surviving example of a uh, of a hand cannon this thing is made of uh i don't know it's cast i guess some kind of metal could be bronze maybe man i don't even know but to think that i mean the the hand uh sorry the uh the fire lance going back to the uh, 10th through to the 12th century and then the hand cannon between the 13th and the 14th that's a fair advancement in that's a good uh, jump in what one to 200 years yeah when you think that the modern the modern firearm really hasn't it hasn't changed that much not a whole years. lot no 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 by the way, full disclaimer here, I am not an expert in, in uh, firearms by any means. So when we get down to the nitty gritty and we start talking about actual firearms, listen, if you're a gun guy or a gun girl, um, a gun people, if you're a gun person, please do not ream me in the comments because I say something wrong about uh, about the a firearm. real world. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> really, we're not here to talk about the real real world guns, although that will come into the conversation because Star Wars is pretty unique in that sense, in that uh, there's a lot of real world weapons there's... that were adapted for the movies. Mm. And I think that's actually part of what makes that whole lived in universe look. Yeah. Uh, that Star Wars is known for. Yeah. That yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. really catch on to, but it's there. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, knowing that that's where we're headed. Let's take a look at some uh, older science fiction mm. uh, uh, firearms, particularly, I guess, as you say, the ray gun, because isn't that kind of what, you know, science fiction kind of leaned into? It leaned into it pretty heavy. Earliest, uh, earliest reference to a ray gun uh, that I could find. 1898 goes back to H.G. Uh, Wells. War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds. That is, by the way, uh, the original artwork. Uh, the original cover 
That is the 1896 War of the Worlds on the left. Be worth some money now. You would think. I'd hope. Although it's what? It's in the public domain now. True. It's public domain. Domain. So he ever bought a book that's public domain? No. I bought the collected volumes of all of the John Carter of Mars books. Yeah. Cost me $15. Oh, jeez. <laughs> in a hardcover, by the way. Yeah, it was super cheap. I loved it. Even better. So uh, War of the Well. Uh, War of the Wells. Wow. Um, War of the Worlds, the seminal H.G. Wells work, first published in 1898, considered widely to be the first literary description of a beam-like weapon, and it was referred to as a heat ray. The book get, uh, got its first translation in uh, 1900, and then, uh, man, it, it went without the illustrations. All the trans French translations, no illustrations. It wouldn't get uh, illustrations again until uh, 1906 those are the images that you're seeing on the right hand side of that slide these are from uh, brazilian artist Henrique alvim correa hmm. and uh, this time the uh, the martians appear to be uh, far more techy i suppose a little bit more uh, yeah 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 fluid tech a bit more doc ock i mean they were described as uh what uh armored oh what they call armored tripods or, yeah. or mechanical tripods i think is what the the book described them as but even going back, 1906, I mean, you can see it right there yeah, it's already. It's a little like a, a little handheld beam weapon. Yeah. It looks like one of those uh, modern-day air horns. It does, almost like an air raid, yeah. an old air raid siren. Um, so, yeah, there we go. We've got uh, War of the World, 1896, and then again, 1906. Let's uh, fast-forward a little bit here. I mean... Our first comment coming in, too, from a Facebook user. First comment coming in from Facebook says, reminds me of Invid. Well, I know what an Invid is, do you? I honestly don't. Well, the Invid were one of the uh, protagonists in the uh, 1985 uh, animated series Robotech. They were the uh, main villain for the uh, third uh, third segment of the uh, the saga, which was referred to as the, the new generation. Okay. It does look like uh, a, a remind me of, of an invid as well. So, I mean, I think it's fair to say that if you're going to look at uh, ray guns in the history of science fiction, it would not be what we would be remiss not to uh, include. There's a couple major names here. <laughs> Buck Rogers. Uh, Buck Rogers, his uh, XZ or XZ38 disintegrator pistol from uh, 1929. Um Buck Rogers flew into the 25th century back in 1929, but uh, he wouldn't make the the leap to the big screen till 10 years later in 39. And even then, his uh, disintegrator pistol was basically a faithful representation of what we had seen in the uh, the magazines and the pulp. Pretty, pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun fact here: uh, Larry Buster Crab, who played uh, Buck Rogers, got a guest shot. In the uh, 1979 Buck Rogers, uh, opposite of Gil Gerard. Nice, pretty cool. So he's like, he's like in his 70s when he did that. That's like a OG Easter egg. Uh big time. Yeah, yeah. This was the uh, uh, the episode. Uh, oh my gosh, I don't know the name of the episode. Um, Buster Crab. He appeared as a Brigadier Gordon. Brigadier Gordon, which actually is a little bit of a nod to another character that uh, <laughs> that Larry Buster Crab played. And of course, uh, that is Flash Gordon, of course. 
He played uh, Flash Gordon three times in three different uh, serials between 1936 and uh, 1940. Huh. Played uh, canon. Well, I don't know. Same guy come back. You could make a case for it. The fact that he's both characters. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Also played uh, um, Tarzan. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. What's it going to say here? Oh, yeah. So uh, Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe. That's the 1940. That's the last serial that they did. And uh, we get to see, uh, really, uh, Raygun. Hmm. I wouldn't say it's the first time we see a Raygun, but it's, it's probably one of the more little bit larger model is definitely not like just a single handheld no it's no. almost like a sawed off shotgun style i don't know about you but i see a toilet plunger in there it kind of looks like that. <laughs> a toilet plunger with a block of wood <laughs> come on prop making in the 1940s was probably uh, <laughs> a little different than it is now don't have to worry about color it's all shot in black and white no 3d printers yeah yeah really <laughs> that's so true all right, fast forward to uh, another little piece of science fiction that we've talked about before. This one is a classic. Uh, that's 1953's uh, Forbidden Planet. And uh, in Forbidden Planet, we see the uh, the illuminating blaster pistol or uh, the illuminating blaster rifle. Uh, you know, Forbidden Planet, a uh, seminal movie. It's known for quite a few things. One, this was Leslie Nielsen, our very own Canadian. This was his uh, first starring role. Mm. It's only his uh, second appearance in film, by the way, too. Nice. This is also the first movie that shows uh, humans traveling faster than the speed of light in a craft of their own design. Hmm. Uh, this was uh, the first appearance of Robbie the Robot, as you can see right there on the uh, on the movie poster. Yep. Facebook comment. Facebook comment come in says it looks a lot like a drill. You know what? The pistol does. <laughs> That's exactly. I was thinking drill and or. Do you remember those old old uh soldering guns yes very much like that but uh when to say that it looks like an old drill i wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly what it was it might be yeah it's off the court yeah 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 uh and this is actually this is an interesting one this is the first movie the first hollywood movie to feature an all electronic score Hmm. yeah yeah, so the, I mean, this is, uh, I mean, as we're talking about uh, uh, ray guns and blasters throughout the ages, this is kind of the evolution here. We're at 1953. We're going to leave the 50s. We're heading straight into the 60s. And you can't talk about 1960s science fiction without bringing up this one. This is, uh, of course, uh, Star Trek, the unaired pilot episode, The Cage. And although this was uh, shot in. Uh, um, 1963 it was completed and submitted to uh, cbs in 64 uh rejected by the network by the way (laughs) they which ordered a a, another uh, another pilot right after that but i mean uh, star trek fans this is a huge departure from the classic trek phaser that we all kind of uh recognize interestingly enough oh what do we got here we got another comment coming in says uh I know every time I pick up a drill, it's temporarily a ray gun. Yeah. You always got to fire a couple shots. <laughs> I was going to say, you pick it up and you to make sure it's still working, right? <laughs> it's almost like the rule of barbecue tongs. You don't click them together. They, they don't work. Yep. Got to test them. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Interesting about this episode, the cage. Uh, most of the, the footage from the cage got recycled for uh, a regular season one episode. That was the menagerie, of course. Okay. Um, Oh, interesting it wasn't a waste well no 
Interestingly, though, the cage never uh, got a, uh, a public release until 1986, and the, then it was released uh, on VHS. Ooh. It wouldn't get broadcast on television until uh, two years later in 1988. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the 64, 65 thing. And then, you know, one other big one for the 60s before we get back to uh, something a little more familiar. I don't know about you. Were you a fan of uh, Lost in Space? I watched an episode or two. Okay, I find this one to be like really interesting because we're toy guys. Yeah. And so would you believe that the season one uh, ray gun from Lost in Space was actually a toy ray gun from Remco? Nice. You can see that. Uh, and of course, in the example that we have here, <laughs> it's branded as a Star Trek pistol. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. So uh, two, ray uh, two ray pistols in uh, Lost in Space. The season one uh, uh, pistol, again, the, the Remco toy. Yeah, and then uh, Paint, the the season two, season three pistol, which looks like a completely scratch built prop. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit further along in the evolution of it, I Absolutely. guess. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. All right, and then we got to come back to because then we, I mean, we come back to Star Trek, and of course, this is the uh, the classic. You know, mm -hmm. at least for for my uh, for my tastes. This would be the, uh, it is the, a the quintessential, the classic phaser. Of course, the phaser, uh, the the type one and the type two. I should say the type one phaser. That's the little handheld piece that uh, fits into the the more pistoly looking thing. <laughs> Facebook comment comes in says a glue gun. True. I guess it does kind of look like a glue gun. Doesn't it's like it? a cross between a glue gun and one of those little uh, hammers you use to break open a window. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> it does look like that, doesn't it? All right. So the classic series uh, track phaser, this was a scratch built uh, prop and it, it actually takes its cues from five different uh, concept drawings by uh, John Jeffries. Nice. So John and his brother, Matt Jeffries, if you may uh, be familiar with Matt Jeffries, they're both uh, uh, prop design. Yeah. Prop guys. They sat down with Roddenberry the, between the three of them. They came up with sort of the, the elements and the, the phaser actually became a sort of a conglomeration of all five of those drawings. Nice. Um, in an interview, he'd actually said uh, that the type one phaser was actually partly designed the shape, at least on a Magnavox TV remote control, which I presume is this one. I mean, if you look up Magnavox TV yeah. remote controls for that year, this is undeniably the one that they're talking about. Yeah. The, uh, the phantom can you imagine remote control tv in 1965 yeah like sit across the room not like tethered to a wire remote control no i don't well get up and change the knob <laughs> or tap one of the kids on the back yeah, get there up there go. and change the channel get up there billy uh one of the common things and i mean i'm gonna put this out there to the audience so all of the the the, the properties we've talked about up till now present ray guns in a very specific way and that is what we've come to see on star trek the continuous long beam of energy yeah well that kind of changed when we got to the 1970s right because then we got you know that little independent movie that came out mm. i want to know going back to what we were saying before can anybody out there think of another example of of a, a film or a, or a TV series pre 1977, where energy weapons were depicted as bolts of energy, like a actual pew pew. Hmm. None spring to mind. 
comment from uh, Facebook saying that uh, you were dead if it fell on you, meaning the TV, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, we had a big floor model TV too. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't move that thing. Let alone, it was never on a stand. It was like, it was it literally was a ground a, piece yeah, of floor model. Yeah. When your television was also a piece of furniture. Yes. <laughs> Later, it would become a hollowed out fish tank. 1977 rolls in. George Lucas drops this little uh, independent film. And it's interesting when you look at it through the lens of specifically what we're talking about today, that it, it really is an independent movie. Mm-hmm. When you dig into the nuts and bolts and how they put the sets together and the props and the costumes and you realize, you know, that so much of it was just off the shelf, man, it, it works. And I know that I don't know, I don't work in film side. I mean, I don't know, no, but I mean, we have this understanding that prop makers have been doing this stuff on a budget for, yeah, well, for time immemorial. Right. But why up until now, has it not looked as in universe or how, like, Cause let's be realistic here. Like everything we've looked at so far, like if I said looked really sci-fi ish, you'd, you'd know what I mean, right? Yeah. Like it just looks so otherworldly future, yeah. futuristic, futuristic, I guess out of this world. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, interestingly enough, we we've talked about this before, the difference between uh, star Wars legends and star Wars canon. That was a major, uh, talking point on the lightsaber episode was that there are some like serious differences between how they work, how they worked, you know, from one, uh, one iteration to, um, to another, uh, Facebook comment says, I always heard Mr. Lucas said it was a space Western. Yeah. I mean, I I've heard that as well. You know, Star Trek was pitched as a space Western too. They called it, uh, basically wagon train in space. I don't know, uh, which was more successful at the Western element. Arguably they, they both have, uh, elements that are definitely recognizable. True. But if you look at Star Wars with its blaster bolts, you oh, are yeah. really no, I agree that firefight yeah. from an old West film. I do think that Star Wars, uh, it, uh especially new Star Wars, like yeah. the Mandalorian <laughs> really, really influence. gets the Western vibes going. Uh, I think that Flash Gordon had a ray gun that fired bolts. Okay. I'm going to have to look for that again. We're talking about the, the thirties and forties, uh, Flash Gordon. You have to take a watch of those. Hmm. All right, so with uh, Star Wars coming along and blasters uh, becoming another piece of this like fantastic tech, um, they haven't really changed a whole lot between uh, legends and canon. So this is that part where you, <laughs> where I laugh just like last time in our last episode. We'll talk about the in-universe science a little bit here. <laughs> totally makes sense. If you put on your suspension of disbelief caps and you uh, let yourself go to that galaxy far, far away, this is going to be your crash course in uh, blaster tech because they all kind of function on the same sort of basic principle. And uh, that is that um, they run on gas and electricity or energy. They must have a power source and they must have gas. So essentially the, uh, and you can see here on the, uh, the diagram that I've <laughs> prepared for everybody. It's so technical. Can't you tell? I like it. <laughs> you have a gas cylinder, uh, that is where you store your gas. You have a, a power cell or some other form of power source, and you have another device, which is called an exciter. And so a small amount of compressed gas is fed into uh, the component called the exciter, which agitates the gas molecules at the same time. 
A small amount of electricity from a power cell or power pack is also fed into the exciter and it superheats the agitated gas resulting in a plasma or particle bolt. The bolt is then hurled down the barrel by magnetic induction. So there you go. There is your... Uh, yeah, some real world stuff in there too, though. Well, and that's kind of how we came up with the whole uh, uh, talking about Chewie's bowcaster. Yeah. As being a, a rail gun. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> One thing about in, in Star Wars is that uh, blaster bolts, a lot, again, colors. Yeah. So not as detailed uh, as the lightsaber uh, episode, but... No 300 crystals. Well, suffice to say that the color of your blaster bolt is determined by the type and the quality of the gas that you are using. So kind of like, um, you know, you're going to put gas in your car and you're going to either going to fill it up, you're going to go regular, you're going to go uh, mid-grade or premium, right? Mm-hmm. So the better the gas, uh, I, uh, the better or the difference uh, 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 in your blaster color. So um, for the record, red blaster bolts, cheapest gas going. There you go. <laughs> It'll get the job done. Yeah, so um, red is considered to be the cheapest. That being said, um, knowing that, you could literally change the gas that you were using in your blaster and you could render that weapon non-lethal. So yeah, that's kind of how that works. A comment coming in from Facebook that says, is there an ammo count? The short answer is yes. The The more complicated answer is it depends on the weapon. And uh, it depends on how it's being used because there are some references that talk about, um, uh, well, this particular weapon, the, the DL 44 or the Han Solo blaster at one time was said to be able to fire an overcharged shot, which would use more power. Now, I don't know how often are you replacing the, the power cell versus the gas cylinder? Don't know. Presumably you've got to do, you've got to change both of those at some point. One or the other. And I don't imagine they are consumed at the same rate. Maybe they are. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I remember old, my dad's old air pistol and like, you would always be changing out the cartridge for those. Yeah. Well, I put together a list of all of the blasters that are seen. Some of them are not, some of them are a little blink and you miss it. Well, yeah, I'm going to get to some specific examples about that. Some of them are not as easily to spot as, uh, as others. And I'll tell you, there's a couple in here that I literally kind of went, I did not know that until today. And which is really weird because I consider myself to be a very big Star Wars fan. But even now, here we are in closer to 50 than I am to 40. And I'm still learning stuff about these movies. So I kind of put this together like we did in the lightsaber episode now. I might be off, but I believe that I have them arranged in uh, earliest uh, on screen. Chronologically. Yeah, chronologically from the f- opening shot of the movie to the end, which weapons we see in what order. Nice. So follow me, guys and gals, as we. Uh... Oh, wait, what are we saying here? <laughs> Is, Is he- heat buildup an issue? Well, oh, it can be. Uh, it certainly can be, as I mean, some weapons can also be set to self destruct. Um, and there are. Uh, well, the, the fins here on the outside of Han Solo's blaster are meant for, uh, are cool for cooling Cooling purposes, but yeah, presumably each weapon will have some form of cooling built into it. All right, here we go. You ready to get into this? I am. All right. The first, uh, first weapon that we see in star Wars, uh, sorry, there's a, a sorry, uh, a glory shot of flash page. Uh, yeah. Uh, these are, these are all of the on-screen weapons that are in a new hope. Nice. Now, um, the artwork might not be 
accurate, but that generally speaking, those are the weapons from the, uh, from that movie. Okay. Definitely going more out than just a single type. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, interestingly enough though, when we get to the, like the in-universe stuff about like who makes them, you're going to see one name come up a lot. And, uh, that is <laughs> blast tech because here it is. This is the blast tech DH 17. This is the rebel trooper or the fleet trooper, uh, weapon that you see when the, the rebels on uh, princess Leia's blockade runner are uh, basically Boarded. waiting to be. Yeah. Uh, the big firefight at the beginning. So this is uh, made by a company blast tech. The DH-17 was widely used by the Rebel Alliance, especially aboard starships where close-quarter fighting was likely to uh, take place. This weapon was also carried by uh, certain Imperial officers. Given the uh, political turmoil of the period, uh, it is likely that Rebels had secured some, if not most, of their DH-17s from uh, defeated Imperial enemies. This one is uh, based on the British sterling uh, l23 a3 nine millimeter submachine gun the sterling submachine gun um and it, you clearly can yeah, see the the can lineage totally there. see the outline there. yeah yeah this one fun fact for our uh canadian viewers uh, this one actually saw service in the canadian army from uh, 1958 to 1987 Jeez. well i mean the sterling is not you know this wasn't the only gun that uh a star wars gun that uh, was based on the uh the sterling sub because you've got probably if not the the most recognizable certainly the the most uh prolific in terms of like numbers of them and that is the uh, stormtrooper e11 blaster the e11 this is another one i mean there's blast tech again i mean you're going to see that more and more and more as we as we go on through the the breakdown here the E-11 is a medium-range rifle, and it was the standard issue for the Imperial Stormtrooper Corps. This is an evolution of the DC-15A blaster used by the Clone Army of the Grand Republic. And just like the DH-17, the E-11 is also based on the Sterling submachine gun, but this one uh, comes with the addition of an M-38 Sherman tank gun sight. Hmm. <laughs> so they definitely kept more of the original... There's more of the, yeah, the Sterling in there piece with the, uh, the side mounted, um, magazine. Mm -hmm. If you ever, I, this uh, picture doesn't really do it justice, but, uh, if you ever see a Sterling submachine gun with a magazine on it, the big, like coming out, the side, yeah. you can definitely, uh, you can definitely see it here. All right. So, uh, now that we've, uh, invaded, we've landed on princess Leia's ship. We might as well take a look at uh, the princess's weapon. And that, of course, is the, uh, this is the DDC Defender Sporting Blaster, the uh, Drearian Defense Conglomerate uh, Sporting Blaster Pistol. It is a low-powered pistol that was meant for civilian self-defense and small game hunting. Mm. This variant model uh, carried by uh, Princess Leia aboard the Tantive Four was actually called uh, Satine's Lament which is a relatively new development in the canon. I guess that's actually coming out of the new uh, Marvel comics that they've changed the name to uh, Satine's Lament. Hmm. Pardon me. This one's kind of neat. It's uh, based on a small Russian target shooting pistol that was made in 1948. That's the, uh, the Vostok Morgolin. Uh, it's a 22 caliber pistol. The reason that they chose this one, I don't know if you were, <laughs> I just learned this. <laughs> They, they picked this gun because it would not look bulky in Carrie Fisher's hands. Hmm. 
because she's a, a small, she was a petite lady back then. Uh, fun fact sense. here. Luke Skywalker is wearing this gun as his sidearm during the medal ceremony at the end of the movie. Hmm. So if you, so uh, maybe he's been out shooting small animals, who knows um, that. And then there was, there was talk about it being a, a ceremonial weapon as well. So that could be why, whether it's, I mean, prop wise, I'm sure it's the same gun, but yeah. we're probably meant to believe that it's just another one, another one the, off the rear in the armory. Yeah. <laughs> off the rack. That's right. All right. All right, the next few we're going to see uh, pop up on Tatooine. And uh, we'll take a look at this one first. This is the uh, T-21 light repeating blaster. Uh, we didn't get to see this one fire in the movie. No? No. Uh, the T-21 light repeating blaster, also just called the T-21 heavy blaster, was a long-range rapid-fire weapon carried by some stormtrooper units. Uh, the weapon's major drawback is that it is limited to just 30 rounds making it unsuitable for uh, suppressive fire. Mm. So there you go. Ammo count. Well, yeah, that's this one specifically. And th the research component on this, like some of them actually mentioned that most of them don't. Huh. Yeah. 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 You want to get into that kind of thing. Uh, I always say this, like the role-playing games are a, a wealth of information. Then again, comes with the caveat that depending on what edition you're playing, uh, that may or may not be the canon. Um, the canon answer that being said no canon is more important than your own head canon i suppose that's right <laughs> the t21 this one is actually based on a world war one lewis machine gun except the um the drum magazine has been removed and there are some other added uh dressings yeah, yeah exactly but yeah there's no mistaking the silhouette of that thing well yeah and i mean like most of the guns in star wars they all get that they're all sprayed out black yep. yeah yeah uh, the Lewis gun, this was, uh, uh, this one came out in 1911 and it stayed in service right up until the end of the Korean war in 1953. Oh, that's a lifespan. Part of the uh, unique look for this gun is that large, uh, barrel shroud, which, uh, was designed to work as a heat sink. Fun fact on the, uh, T21, the T21 actually could, uh, uh, be used for sustained fire if it was connected to an external power source. Hmm. All right, sticking with uh, what's going on here on Tatooine, and and uh, we see this one a lot, especially uh, now if you're an action figure collector, you've seen this one a gajillion times because it's it's issued with every stormtrooper action figure ever. This is the uh, the DL19, or sorry, the DLT19, another one from Blastech. Hey, what do you know? There you go. This is the heavy blaster rifle used by the Galactic Empire. It was carried by heavy weapons stormtroopers. This one offered uh, heavier firepower than the standard E11. And uh, unlike the T21, this one was uh, capable of sustained fire without the need for an external power source. Hmm. Of course, the DLT is based on probably one of the most famous German machine guns of the era, the, uh, the MG34. And that stayed in service with the German army from 1936 until 1942. Now for Star Wars, uh, they dressed this one up um, with the same, you know, we talked about the, light, the lightsaber episode. Yes. The Graflex handle. Yes. Has those little T rails on it. Yep. The same T rails that they used on the Graflex were used on the E11. Getting extra mileage out of them. Were also used on the, uh, the DLT-19. Nice. Yeah. All right. This weapon also um, um, came in a sniper configuration. Hmm. Okay. It'd be hard to sniper anybody through that helmet, though. Uh, 
<laughs> I always, you know what? Let's talk about that for a second. Because I always presume that there was optics in the Stormtrooper helmets. Yeah. Kind of like the clones, right? Hmm. And I always thought that any kind of optics that were built into their weapons, I kind of thought linked to their helmets. Would actually make a lot of sense. It totally does. Because, I mean, you've got, you know, Ben who says, you know, is it far too precise for certain people? And we know how precise Crosshairs was. Well, <laughs> well, that's true, right? Yeah. I just assume that the yeah optics were connected to their helmets, and that's what again no cannon is more important than your own head cannon. All right, so this is another. This is the first one, the the weird one that uh, hey, I was like today years old when I learned that this was a thing because I don't remember even seeing this in the movie, <laughs> but there is photographic evidence, so it is true. Mm-hmm. This is the RT ninety seven C. In fact, this one does not have a manufacturer listed. This one is another heavy blaster that uh, saw use during the Galactic Civil War. The RT-97C was uh, fitted with advanced optics, making it far more accurate than its counterparts, the DL-19 and the T-21. It was popular amongst the Sand Troopers of Tatooine, as well as Imperial Jump Troopers. Hmm. Now, the uh, RT-97C is clearly uh, based on the German MG-15, now, the MG-15 was uh, used by uh, extensively by the German Luftwaffe, their uh, air force, as a mounted machine gun between 1932 and 1941. Well, for Star Wars, this one was fitted with um, a British number 32 Mark I scope. That's the same scope that was used on the Lee-Enfield rifle as a sniper scope. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So those are those advanced optics. Exactly. And so a uh, fun fact here, the RT-97, and again, I was today years old when I learned this, wasn't even recognized canonically. It didn't have a designation Ooh. until 2008. That's up so until, funny. yeah, up until then, fans just referred to it as the MG-15. Huh. Yeah. Can't have that. So uh, that scope, yeah, was used as a sniper scope on the Lee Enfield rifle. Neat. Which is a nice segue, because speaking of the Enfield rifle. <laughs> hey, there you go. I included this. not While not exclusively or specifically a blaster, it is a, a highly recognizable weapon from Star Wars. And that is the Jawa Ion Blaster, nice. or the uh, Ionization Blaster. This one, I mean, there, it's undeniable. You can totally see uh, where it comes from. Yep. The Jawa Ion Blaster is uh, designed to emit ion particles up to a short range of just 12 meters. This would disrupt any droid, causing them to shut down, making salvage operations much safer for the Jawas. Not surprisingly, each Jawa Ion Blaster is a handcrafted weapon built from scrap and salvage. Now, the blaster we see here from A New Hope is based on a uh, cut-down Lee-Enfield No. 1 Mark III rifle which of course was used by the British and other Commonwealth countries from 1907, right up to 1957. Strange about that when they actually kept the wood grain. Well, this is it. I mean, they just cut down the black. Yeah. Yeah. And they kept the, uh, cup, mm-hmm. cup discharger on the end. Um, yeah. For hours, they basically took the, uh, the number one Mark one cup, uh, discharger, which is a grenade launcher, by the way, for rifle grenades, <laughs> stuck that on the end, uh, connected what a hose to it hooked it up to a power pack on their belt and you get an ion blaster. Nice. 
All right, fun fact here. Anybody who's uh, played uh, any video game that disappears in or in uh, the role-playing games, although not lethal to an organic creature, the uh, Ion Blaster could be used to uh, stun. Hmm. Yeah, could really uh, make your day not nice. Hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, because once they stun you, they're going to strip your ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, there are very few species that are native to Tatooine. So if we're going to talk about the Jawas, then we also... We Can't also gotta that. we gotta talk about uh, the Tuscan Raiders. Now I've I've put these two together. This is uh, Luke's hunting rifle. Now it does have a name. It's the six uh, two Og two hunting rifle. But I've also lumped in the Tuscan cycler rifle because uh, back in A New Hope, both of these uh, props they are like purpose built props. They are not. Uh, uh, these are not gun rentals from the the supply people like most of the other firearms. These were actually carved out of uh, blocks of wood hmm. and uh, had other embellishments uh, kind of given to them. But um, let's just talk about Luke's rifle here for a second. The, uh, the Aug 2, 6.2 Aug 2 hunting rifle. This is, uh, this is from another company. This is uh, from Zerka Arms, and it is a low-cost slug-throwing rifle. So yes, gunpowder weapons that use actual bullets do exist in Star Wars. There you go. Yeah, the length of the weapon uh, meant that it was very precise at long range, despite the lack of any fancy optics. On the other hand, you've got uh, Tuscan cycler rifles that were handcrafted, uh, much like the Jawas Ion Blaster. All these were constructed from uh, salvage. Many of them had an effective range up to 1,000 meters. That's pretty darn good. Mm. And uh, a lot of them were single-bolt action rifles. Um, yeah. <laughs> Both Luke's rifle and the cycler that we saw in A New Hope when they were uh, shooting at Luke in the Landspeeder, mm. or about to shoot Luke in the Landspeeder. These were uh, hand-carved blocks of wood that had other uh, uh, other embellishments added to them. Now, this is the reason why I put them together is because both of these rifles, and by the way, when you, when you realize this, I had this kind of epiphany that maybe this was also sort of some of the... the influence on the sand people themselves back then because both of these are based on the uh a rifled musket the afghan jazile hmm. yeah the jazile it could be either a matchlock or a flintlock and they were used by uh, pashtun fighters during the first anglo afghan war from uh, 1838 to 1842 and the afghans like really like drove it to the british huh. yeah so maybe it's properly suited for the terrain I, I guess so. I mean, part of the, I mean, the real world history here is that, um, yes, it's a musket, so it's a, it's muzzle loaded, but it's rifled. Um, so unlike most muskets of the day, that's how they were able to outrange the British that, and they would also make sure that they were up on the highest sort of the high ground yeah, and shoot down. Right. So you yeah. could get more out of it. What's cool here is, and we see this, uh, in star Wars is that these rifles, particularly the Tuscans, they're highly ornate and highly personal, which the Gisiles were as well, because, you know, these Afghan tribesmen didn't have much. They might have their, they might have their gun. And so they would take it to these guys, these gunsmiths who would really go to town on the intricate carvings. Nice. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Make it a uh, showpiece as well as a functional thing. Well, this is it. I mean, and this is where I kind of go, is this, cause I mean, you can go online and you can see, just go online and look up Afghan jingle truck and just see what they do with like cars and trucks and, and these embellishments and stuff. 
it totally makes sense to me yeah were the sand people pattern after afghan tribes people it could be based on what we saw in the book of boba fett because like building your own gaffy stick yeah that was a task and a half and it was absolutely it was you know, ornate intricate and very personal yeah 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 so why would it not reflect that and i don't know but i i kind of as i'm doing the research on this and putting it together i'm like i wonder if that's really the case if Could if be. some of the more I mean, real world influence the heavy robes staying it. covered in the heat and the whole tribal aspect yeah i mean remember the the classic depiction of of tuscans were you know savages right? yeah and i mean only recently have we got to dive in and yeah. actually learn more about their culture and one fun fact here uh luke's um sorry on the original Marvel comics run back in the seventies, they actually referred to this uh, Luke's rifle as a laser rifle, hmm. but it's uh, no, it is a, in fact, a slug thrower. All right. Um, the next, these next couple uh, weapons that we're going to talk about, they kind of go together, but in a, in a very weird, like this is a, it's a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on here for these next ones. So bear with me as we get to this, but uh, the next one we're going to take a look at, we're going to take a look at, uh, this one, the uh, the DL twenty one. Now, remember Ponda Baba and uh, yep. yeah, uh, Walrus Man for all you action figure guys out there. Or uh, these guys turned up by the way in uh, Rogue One as well. Mm-hmm. This is one of those ones that you don't actually see in the movie. No, but I've included it because there are behind the scenes photos where you can see the the gun uh, in his on his hip in a holster huh. and laying on the floor after the fact well we're going to talk about that a little bit but uh let's talk about the dl21 uh, specifically for a second here we're going back there's another one from blast tech this is the dl21 it is a standard blaster pistol design that uses a flared muzzle to create a scattered energy charge effect like a modern shotgun <laughs> that would have been a much different <laughs> yeah that would uh tear more holes and stuff now as i said even though we don't see it, Ponda Baba did carry a modified DL-21, um, but because of the way that the movie was shot, you don't really see it all that well. You can, though. I had went back and I watched that sequence in the cantina, and you do see some of the, the details that, if you aren't looking for them, you could easily miss them. Yeah. All right. So, um, speaking of Ponda Baba, um, do you remember which arm got cut off? Uh, I would think the right arm. We're going to take a look at that. I'm going to show you. <laughs> All right. The uh, DL-21 is actually a cut-down Armalite AR-7 Explorer. That was a 22 caliber takedown rifle that was marketed as a, a survival gun for hmm. campers and for backpackers because of its compact size. In fact, when you broke the gun down, um, the receiver... Uh, the magazine and the barrel all stored inside the buttstock and you could just like strap it to your backpack. Hmm. Yeah. So it's very small. Not exactly quick on the draw though. No, no, exactly. Uh, so yeah, we're going to come back to that arm thing because that's an actual, that's a bit of a sticking point, right? Because that's a classic scene. Well, and it we, set the pace for everybody having to lose a limb and everyone. I mean, Ponda Baba got his arm cut off, but let's remember, you know, it wasn't Ponda Baba that drew down on, luke and ben it was dr evazin mm. and uh, dr evazin he used this weapon this is the uh, se 14c this is another one from our good old friends back at blast tech the se 14c was a large blaster pistol that was fitted with uh, dual scopes kind of looks a lot like the same dual scopes we see on chewbacca's bowcaster 
wonder what the purpose of dual scopes would be. Yeah. Maybe I, like a near and a far. Well, so this gun actually bridges the gap between pistol and repeating blaster. So maybe one is for like pew pew and another one is for pew 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 pew. Because I don't recall him having eyes that close together. Well, not really. All right. The SC4, uh, the SE14C was ideal as a close quarter uh, weapon where it's low recoil and automatic fire mode uh, made it aptly suitable. Now, although it's not shown in the film, there's a couple wider shots that uh, show that this is the gun. And you can see it on the floor laying next to Ponda Baba's arm, despite the fact that he's actually carrying the DL-21. Weird. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, and that's another thing, too, is that we're going to look at that again, too. Ponda Baba originally came with, like, flipper hands. And, in fact, the, the action figure toy, they, they sold them with the flipper hands. Huh which is kind of neat when you realize kind of stupid or, or well, I guess it, you decide how you feel about it. But I mean, when you look at the hand, the severed arm, it's got the hairy Wolfman hand on it. Oh, geez. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So for star Wars, this is a, uh, uh, the SE 14 C was actually based on a Swiss made nine millimeter called the Wrexham favor. Uh, it was a submachine gun. Looks a whole lot like the, uh, um, Oh my God. There's a German. I can't think of it. The German, um, German uh, submachine gun, World War II. Wow. Ruger? Again, I'm not a historian, so. Me neither. However, this gun was developed in uh, 1953, and because it was heavy and clumsy, and the firing mechanism was considered too complicated, there were very little, uh, there was very little interest from any of the NATO countries on buying it. In fact, uh, only Turkey hmm. ended up buying it. wonder if they got a discount. I don't know if they did or not. Well, if nobody else is buying it, you got to lower the price. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, they retained a lot of the actual thing. Well, for this one, for Star Wars, literally, they just removed uh, the barrel, the, uh, barrel, the, the magazine, and, and the, the buttstock. Uh, yeah. That's it. And then slap those. Uh, uh, those scopes. Dual scopes, and away you go. Well, yeah. So, um, fun fact here, the Wrexham Favor, that machine gun, was reused uh, two years later for uh, Alien. Nice. Ridley Scott's Alien. Remember our good friend, Roger Christian, who was also the guy who made our lightsaber. Yeah. He also made the gun huh. for both Star Wars and for Alien. So, nice. I mean, having already worked on that weapon, <laughs> it was a natural choice. Easy for to, to go, go back. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's pull the veil back on some of this behind the scenes stuff, because this is where you kind of get the fun, the fun bits out of it. Here's a shot. This is Ponda Baba as he originally appeared. In fact, if you go back and watch the sequence um, uh, at the cantina, you can see him standing there up against the bar. He still has the flipper hands. Hmm. Yeah, and there is a behind-the-scenes photo after the arm is cut off with him actually holding the DL-21. But like I said before, it was Dr. Uvazin who drew down on uh, on Luke and Ben. And uh, there you go. They cut off the uh, the the arm. I should have put an extra picture in there because they actually cut off Ponda Baba's left arm. Huh? But that is very much a right hand. Yeah. The, the hairy Wolfman hand. That's a thumb there. That's a, that's a right hand. That's no uh, flipper claw. <laughs> no. And oddly enough, that photo of Ponda Baba, it kind of looks like early version of Zoidberg. <laughs> Doesn't it though? Eh? A young Zoidberg. Dr. Zoidberg. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've included a shot here of the uh, the alien uh, blaster because I think it's you know you want to see them side by side to kind of go oh yeah there that's that's yeah. what they did well 
went the opposite direction. Instead of adding scopes, he added some undercarriage to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's take a look here. I got some other stuff I want to show you too. Um, let's go forward here. So there's a version of that. The, uh, the SE, this one is, what is this? The SE 14 R, which is very much a variant of the SE 14 C. Now this gun, I've included it here. Cause it's kind of a neat little, it's a bit of an outlier, never made it into the movie, but it was used extensively in the, uh, in the promotional photography for, for star Wars back in 77, hmm. that image of the stormtrooper holding that gun is hugely famous. Yeah. That gun never made it into the movie, hmm. but it is. What's funny is like, it's literally the, the 14 R, but just different scopes, hmm. you know, single scope. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've included, this is kind of cool. I know we, I, I said we weren't going to talk about a bunch of the other movies, but I could not include this. Lando Calrissian carried a version of this, uh, which you get to see him at the battle of, uh, in Kessel. And, uh, just like, you know, typical Lando it's chromium plated with mother of pearl handles. Flashy. <laughs> Tala in uh in the Obi-Wan series when she got off the the transport and she shot those stormtroopers is that the one she was using that's what she was carrying nice yeah so finally got it uh although I think it's been shown in the Mandalorian and some other things too but yeah back in 77 this never made it into the movie but like I said it was used in the the promo for uh, promo photography so it did get constructed yeah so um wow we've we're still in the cantina right uh so far yeah okay so Sticking with that for a second, let's go over to here because this is another, well, we all know how this goes. <laughs> on shot first. Han did shoot first. Okay, we all, we all agree on that one. Greedo's gun, uh, the Blastec DT-12. This was a heavy blaster pistol and it was favored by non-human humanoids because of the uh, wide trigger guard and the bulky handle, which made it easy uh, to be grasped by various appendages, not necessarily hands and fingers. So blast tech was very accommodating. Well, I mean, in the galaxy far, far away, you're you not just, to be. yeah, you're not just making blaster weapons for, you know, Evolved uh, monkeys, you know, four fingers and a thumb. Right? Yeah. Maybe you're doing it for, you know, four really long fingers with suction cups or flipper hands <laughs> and flipper hands. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So, um, the DT-12, this one is actually based on an American uh, 22 caliber, the Ruger Mark I. Uh, the Ruger Mark I was released in 1949, marketed as a casual sport target shooting pistol. Now, for Star Wars, this is a... Man, there's not a lot of information on this one because there's just not a lot of good photos. Uh, the barrel was shortened, obviously. And it was fitted with several embellishments and i say embellishments because nobody really knows for certain 100 percent exactly what everything was it, it almost looks like a more traditional ray gun i went to the rpf the the uh the replica prop forum which i expected wouldn't have all the answers and 15 pages of of discussion on this blaster and one of the one of the post comments that i saw from one of the makers there was i've come to the conclusion that i can basically uh you know put whatever i want on it and you know fans will still go nice <laughs> just nobody knows 100 percent exactly what all that stuff is hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah all right fun fact here about the uh the dt12 now this is another one this is coming out to you guys to the audience correct me if i'm wrong but uh the dt12 may in fact have died with greedo because i don't think it's had another on-screen appearance since then hmm. if you guys know better let me know in the comments 
All right. And that brings us probably to what I would say is probably one of the most iconic ones of I, yeah, like maybe the most famous Star Wars gun ever. Maybe. And that, of course, is uh, the one carried famously by Han Solo. And that is the DL44 heavy blaster pistol. Again, from our good friends over at Blast Tech. <laughs> this might be one of the most controversial weapons in Star Wars history because not only does Han Solo's blaster vary from each film, it actually varies from shot to shot within the same movie. Oops. There are a couple different versions of this weapon uh, that were made. And there are some subtle differences or very big differences if you know what you're looking for. But for the purposes of our show tonight, we are talking specifically about the DL44 hero prop from A New Hope. Because if we get to do another another show on this, we're going to talk about the other one because it comes up a few times. Mm -hmm. All right. The uh, DL44 heavy blaster pistol was considered to be one of the most powerful blasters in existence. And that punch did not sacrifice any accuracy, which made it popular amongst uh, both government agencies and private individuals, <laughs> smugglers and other unsavories, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> this blaster is basically the Honda Civic of blasters. It is considered to be widely, uh, highly modifiable. And uh, as we saw in Solo, in a Star Wars story, that it could be kitted out with a longer barrel and a buttstock, converting it into a carbine. If you remember, that's how, uh, I mean, Han got it from Tobias Beckett, who broke it down from its carbine and tossed him the pistol. Hey, you're going to need this. Hmm. So there you go. Yeah. The DL-44, of course, is based on, man, probably one of the most famous pistols ever. The German Mauser C96 pistol. That was produced uh, from uh, 1896 to 1937. It's a good run. Yeah. Within its first year, the Mauser was sold to uh, several governments and uh, commercially to private citizens. It has been copied many, many times, and there are at least 10 notable versions. Again, I'm not a gun guy, so I'm not going to go through all that. But just to say, it's a hugely popular gun. For Star Wars, uh, the Mauser may or may not have included an actual heavy barrel um sort of the they're not sure it might have been a heavy barrel or it may have been a barrel shroud but it did have a, a heavier barrel it was also fitted with the flash suppressor from a german mg81 machine gun hmm. and a side mounted scope so the dl44 blaster uh the carbine version uh also takes its design cues from the c96 which also had a carbine version highly functional yeah 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 so this is kind of this is kind of neat because it ties into the uh the real world history like not only was the c96 the mauser pistol knocked off so was the dl44 hmm. the merson company actually made uh at least two knockoff versions of the dl44 they are the the power five and the model 57 no real naming convention no not really fluidity or nothing there is there no just pitching names really yeah i mean if you go if we get to do another one of these the um do you remember luke's pistol on uh, empire strikes back vaguely kind of looks like han's pistol a little bit it's a merson hmm. yeah all right so they really need to do an episode of something where boba fett 
Din Djarin, somebody goes to the Star Wars equivalent of like, like a gun shop or something, or like a Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> Bass Pro Shop in space. Seriously. Yeah. And you see just aisles and aisles of blast tech stuff and Mershon stuff. Well, so that's kind of, I mean, if you're paying attention, look, uh, season one, uh, the Mandalorian season one, his weapons, the weapon locker on the Razor Crest has nice. got a bunch of the guns in it, nice. uh, including some of the ones that we've talked about. So it's definitely worth going back and looking at. You figure like Star Wars did uh, below deck to do a bit of a comedy twist to it. Kevin Smith looking at you. How about it? Yeah. Bass Pro Shop in space. Make it like clerks. Clerks in space. I'm down for that. It could be good. All right. Well, no scruffy nerf herder would be uh, the same without their faithful Wookiee companion, which brings us to, uh, this is the end of our list, by the way. And uh, yeah, I don't think there was anything else after that. Cause really everything after the, bl- the blasting out of the, uh, the, uh, Moss Eisley is just a reuse of everything yeah. we've already seen up until that point. Yeah. Well, that brings us to uh, Chewbacca's bowcaster. We've talked about the bowcaster before, but you know what? We're going to go through it again. Might as well. So Chewie's uh, bowcaster is a traditional handcrafted Wookiee weapon. Like other bowcasters, it uses electromagnetic induction to fire a metal coral that is sheathed in plasma, just like a regular blaster bolt. But that makes it really, really destructive which we saw several times Mm -hmm. and they really dial in on it in the force awakens. That's what I mean. Like, Hey, can I see that? (laughs) (laughs) You've been holding out on me. So Chewbacca's bowcaster breaks from the Wookiee tradition in the sense that it actually has an automatic caulking system as opposed to having to uh, one at a time. Well, it also uses the power pack from an Imperial E 11 blaster rifle. Hmm. And uh, this one, like I said, it's equipped with dual scopes. Now, Chewbacca bowcaster, I've, I've included an image here. This is the Horton Safari Magnum uh, crossbow. That is not the bow that Chewie's bowcaster is based on. However, it is about the closest thing that I could find. And it is a lot of prop makers, a lot of like cosplay prop guys. They will use the Horton Safari Magnum as a base. A stand in. Yeah, as a base to construct their own bowcaster. So, um, Bernard Horton, the guy who actually made it, uh, said in an interview that it's, um, oh, we got a comment coming in here. Oh, it's Sean from Peterborough. Sean from Peterborough. What Sean is saying, Hey, I just tuned in. Have you chatted about the communicators in episode one? They were lady shavers. We did bring those up. We've brought that up before. Not today, but in our, uh, prop culture episode, we absolutely did. We are not talking about just the general tech of, of Star Wars tonight, Sean. We are specifically talking about the blasters and blaster weapons, specifically from A New Hope. And uh, as I said before, we're just getting to the end of our list here. We're talking about Chewbacca's bowcaster, which uh, is based on a military crossbow that was designed by uh, Bernard Horton. This one was aimed at the European defense market. He says that uh, there wasn't a whole lot of interest. It was uh, made of aluminum. Hmm. And very few models were, would have been sold in the U S. So, um, again, it closely resembles another Horton design, the Safari Magnum, <laughs> which is made of composite materials. Now, that being said, um, fun fact, Chewbacca has crafted at least one other bowcaster, which if you go back and watch revenge of the Sith, you can see him carrying, and it's got the reverse throwing arms where the balls are 
reverse in front of the barrel and not behind yeah it's much different it's got more like gold tones to it so yeah that's uh figure he's like what 200 years old he's had to have built a few of them yeah 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 exactly at least two anyway yeah well man that covers uh man that covers all the the weapons that we uh set out to talk about here um at least the ones from a new hope where did i put that slide where is there we go just to look at them all again together how many do we cover here one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven four thirteen 13, 14, 13, 15, I guess, if you include the, I didn't put the, uh, the Tuscan rifle in there, but, um, yeah. Well, you figure like that's good on the prop guys for not just, you know, giving out one standard gun. Yeah. 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 Here's your one phaser rifle. Go to it. I encourage you guys go out there, uh, go back and watch a new hope and, uh, go, go to the cantina scene and really, uh, dial in on that and have a look because you'll see flipper hands and if you uh, can get the brightness on your tv up enough you should be able to see the uh, the dl21 in uh, ponda baba's uh, holster oh by the way i never did talk about that the dl21 that flared um that flared barrel that's actually the back end of a mortar really yeah huh. <laughs> yeah uh do i have it in here where did i put it maybe there it is. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It is a mortar. Also, Dengar, bounty hunter Dengar mm. is wearing a DL-21 as a sidearm mm. uh, in the Empire Strikes Back. Nice. So speaking of the Empire Strikes Back, if you guys like this, do let us know because, uh, again, this was just kind of a nice casual uh, sit down chitty chat about uh, a bunch of stuff that maybe you didn't know a lot about. But there are so many more uh, weapons in Star Wars. I think we've got almost as many in Empire as we do uh, in New Hope, which I am more than willing to uh, come back and talk about those in a future mm. episode. It's kind of weird, like how many of them have a real world component. They really do. I mean, almost all of them. I, I can't actually say that for a fact. I'm Part of me is interested in going and looking at sort of the, the prequel trilogy because I know that there's a lot more the prequel trilogy with its more sleek look yeah really emulates and i was thinking about this as i was putting the episode together think back to like coruscant in like the phantom menace and uh um naboo mm-hmm. really gives me the flash gordon vibes yeah just so futuristic even padme's little silver blaster yeah i'm like that's so spacey <laughs> Well, even the ships were chromed out too, right? There's just no other way to say it. Like, really get the Flash Gordon rocket ship vibe out of that? A little bit. Which I... But there's also Batman vibes too. There is that too. I certainly appreciate it a little bit more now, having uh, had this little look at sort of the the guns of Star Wars. And uh, more than happy to come back and do it again. So if you you like this one, give us a like. Give us a a subscribe. Do consider checking out our Patreon and uh, supporting the show that way because... And every little bit helps. Even if you don't uh, want to become a patron, we do encourage you share this video with your like-minded friends. Please subscribe to the channel, like our videos, because even a simple thumbs up tells the algorithm that uh, you like what we are doing and will suggest our videos uh, in other content searches. So um, that's it for me, man. Do you have anything else? Uh, not that I know. I went to the Peterborough Comic Con today. Oh yeah, how'd that go? It was okay. How many uh, vendors? 
Uh, I did not count, but it was a full house. Okay, that's good to know. And I came away with some uh, treasures, so it was Excellent. a good day. Well, you know. Anyway, you know, uh, if Hank were here, he would tell you, you know my mantra, kids, go and read the comics because yep. there's a, a lot of stuff going on in the comics that uh, will help connect the dots. Yes, there is. But, hey, we'll be back to uh, connect some more dots uh, sometime next week. Don't know what we're going to talk about. Could be more Star Wars weapons. Might be something else. But uh, if you got a suggestion, let us know. Do let us know. Until then, guys, thank you for joining us as always. And uh, until the next video, my friends, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. We'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production. <laughs>